All right, I want to read through a story today that uh, is an Easter story, but it's not your typical Easter story. And the story became very meaningful to me about a year ago, and it's found in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. About a year ago uh, was the last time our, our churches were able to meet and everything went online for a little bit. And for us at Desert City, we were up at Explorer Middle School, and, uh, and we weren't able <clears throat> to meet in the school anymore. And so we ended up going over to the Verrett's house and tried to live stream our first church service. And uh, we had no idea what we were doing. And we went to their house because they had a WebEx uh, camera set up, and we live streamed the whole thing through WebEx and ate some breakfast burritos and, and uh, tried to do church online. Um, and it was a, a sad day uh, for me, um, but I think it was also uh, a, 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 a couple weeks stretch where it was um, sad for everybody. It was a time of great uncertainty. Uh, no one really knew what was going on. Um, there was uncertainty about like what was going to happen health-wise with, with everyone, what was going to happen job-wise with the economy. And, uh, and, and I came across this passage, and, uh, and it spoke to me in that moment. Um, and it's fun to look back at it a year later with, with uh, this year that we've gone through as, as a people. Um, and to come back to this passage as we're reading through Mark, it just so happens that this lands on Easter. And I uh, just want to share uh, this story and, uh, and see what God is up to in the midst of it. So if you want to follow along with me, Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21, it says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. So Jesus went with them. So first of all, in those few verses, you have one of the most heartbreaking lines in scripture. My little daughter is dying. Jairus, the synagogue leader. Last time Jesus was here in this area in Capernaum, the synagogue leaders were trying to kill Jesus. And so a lot has happened since then. Jesus is back. And now you have the synagogue leader who falls at his feet in desperation. Falls at his feet because his little daughter's dying. And he knows the story of what Jesus has been up to. And he has this hope that Jesus will do something. He's this reminder that desperation is often a prelude to to grace. He falls at Jesus' feet in desperation. The story goes on. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And she suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she was getting worse. So first character, you have Jairus, and then you have this lady that, that comes into the story, and we find out that she has this condition um, that keeps getting worse. And not only is it something that is, is comp- really difficult for her physically, uh, but because what her condition is, is it's also, it's created this, this type of death socially. Um, we, we've learned a lot about uh, disease this last year, a lot about viruses and how things Pass and how germs pass. You know, we have all of this uh, knowledge now. Um, you know, we're, we're living uh, 
in, in, with microbiology. Uh, we, we're living with understanding germ theory, and we know how diseases pass. Back in Jesus' day, they didn't quite have that knowledge, but they, they understood something about infection. And in the Old Testament, there's all of these, these laws that knew, we, we don't know how infection passes, but we know it passes. So they put these really strict, actually like social distancing, rules in place for people who could possibly be infected. And for this woman, there was this bodily discharge which made her ceremonially unclean. The Old Testament knew, we don't know how infection spreads, but it spreads, and if there's someone in this condition, you can't be near them. So they had all these rules in place, so if this person was, had a bodily discharge, anything that that person touched would become unclean, or any person that that person touched would become unclean, or if you touch something that the unclean person touched, you would become unclean. There's all of these rules, and what happens is it, it creates this, uh, this social distance between this woman and everyone else around her. She wouldn't be able to hold a job. She wouldn't be able to be in a relationship. It says that she has tried to find cures and she's spent all of her resources and she's at her wit's end. She's poor. She would have been considered dead socially. Her life for 12 years had been miserable. And she comes to Jesus. It says in verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized power had gone out of him. And he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at the feet, his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Remember, anything this woman touches becomes unclean, and she reaches out and touches the clothes of Jesus. It's like Jesus is saying, if you touch me, you're not going to make me unclean. In fact, if you're unclean and you touch me, you will become clean. And there's healing found for this woman. The story goes on. While Jesus was speaking, some of the people came from the house of Jairus. Remember, this is where the story started. The synagogue leader, and he said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? And overhearing what, Jesus, what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came home to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion, people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the chief's child's father and mother and disciples who were with him, and went in where the child was, and he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha ku, which means little girl, I say to you, get up, rise up, arise. And immediately the girl stood up, began to walk around, and she was 12 years old. And at this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to tell anyone 
to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. I love that last detail. Give her something. He just raised her from the dead. He says, get her something to eat. It's a long story. There's a lot going on here. You've got a couple of characters. You have Jairus, this well-known leader in the community, a religious leader, probably wealthy and established, has a good reputation. You have this woman who is subject to bleeding, poor, desperate, out of answers. You have this daughter of Jairus who was raised from the dead. This story speaks something to the character of Jesus when we look at the people here. You have, I, I've heard one person say there's actually two daughters in this story. Because when Jesus looks at the woman who was subject to bleeding, he calls her daughter. He invites her into this new family. In fact, when you look at the, the two characters of the two women, both being daughters, you have one daughter who has a name. She's Jairus' daughter. She's wealthy. The other woman doesn't have a name. She's poor and desperate. One woman, the girl, has a family. The other woman is completely alone. One daughter is 12 years old. The other woman has been socially dead for 12 years, the whole life of this child. One daughter has a father named Jairus who will do whatever it takes out of his love for her to bring healing. Jairus puts his reputation on the line. The other daughter, who Jesus calls daughter, he makes, he, he gives her a father. And his love for her, Jesus will do whatever it takes to bring her healing, even putting his own reputation on the line. There's something unique here that's going on with this presence of Jesus in this story. The presence of Jesus frees people from suffering. It frees people from suffering. For this woman in her condition as she was suffering, Jesus says, your suffering is no more. The presence of Jesus, in his presence we find family. In Christ we have this new family, the people of God. This woman is called daughter. She's a child of God. He gives her dignity by bringing her into this family. And then in the presence of Jesus, we have healing. This child is raised from the dead. Jesus is setting people free and bringing life. And it's a good story, right? We know the character of Jesus, that he's doing this. But what's happening in the story, too, is that Mark is pointing us to a bigger reality of what Jesus is up to in this world. He's pointing us to this bigger reality of, of what's going on with the story of Easter. In fact, he uses this word arise when it comes to this little child, to, to be raised up, to get up. This is a, the same word that Mark uses when he deals with the man with the withered hand that we talked about a few weeks ago. He tells him to stand up in the presence of everyone and heals him. This is the same word Jesus uses with the paralytic. Remember the story where he's lowered through the roof. Jesus tells him to get up, to take his mat, to walk. This word arise is what the Roman soldiers use when they talk about, this is what Jesus said, that he was going to be gone for three days and he was going to rise up. This term arise is found over and over. And what Mark is pointing us to is ultimately what Jesus' mission is, to bring life 
to what has been killed, to, to raise up things that have died. As we were getting ready for Good Friday, uh, we were putting together a liturgy, and Bree brought to me this, uh, this prayer for Good Friday with the cross. It, it, in these, these words, it talks about how things that were cast down were being raised up. Things which had grown old were being made new. Things that we thought were dead are made alive. The story of Jesus, Mark, is pointing us to this God who is resurrecting the dead. The first thing that we know about Easter is that Jesus was resurrected. This is the foundational belief of, of who we are as followers of Jesus, that Jesus rose from the dead. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, says this about it. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, that arise on the third day according to scriptures. He appeared to Peter and then to the 12, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and at last to me. This is what happens on Easter. Jesus rises from the dead. That passage that Elizabeth read, the foundation of what we believe as a church, that Jesus conquers death. There's hope in this world. Easter also points us to the fact that we will be resurrected. What we see in Jesus is that promise is also for us as humans. Something inside of us will rise up. Now that has something very personal for us in our soul. This year, death has been in front of us like no other year in my life. And it's been a, a season of, of suffering and mourning and grief. Some of you have lost people that you know this year. Some of you have lost loved ones. It's been a terrible experience to see so much death around us. Someone donated a bunch of these lilies up on the stage in honor of those who have died this year. Maybe you've had someone in your life that, that you've lost. We'd invite you after the service to come up and grab a lily in memory of them. But death doesn't have the final word. We're reminded that there's something beyond this life where we experience resurrection. Easter is reminding us that, that there is this hope that death doesn't have the final word. Paul goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians 15. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In the flash and the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death doesn't have the final word. There's something eternal at in play here. We've also experienced all sorts of death to the world that we've known this last year. 
the things that we were used to, the rhythms that we've had, the routines. If I could explain what this last year felt like, it was like uh, this obscure sense of loss that just hit all of us. And it was different than like 9-11 when there was this very specific event at this very specific location that we all, we all knew and it was, it was terrible and yet we, we could all grieve because we could, we could define what that was. For so many of us, we've experienced loss this year and we're not quite able to define. It just feels different. There's this sense of grief that comes from that. And yet in Christ. Things are made new. Things are raised up. Things that were lost are returned. Things that have died have come to life again. Things that were cast down are raised up. What Easter also tells us is that the church will be resurrected. That God's people, not just for an eternity, but for activity here on this earth. God is working in the midst of the things that feel like loss, giving new life to them. It's pretty crazy to think about, for both of the churches that have come together today, what has happened in the last year. When I was sitting in that house, getting ready for online church for the first time, eating a breakfast burrito, as a church planner wondering, when will this end? For people that are a paradise a year ago, thinking, what is our future as a church? Do we have one? Having some really hard meetings and hard conversations. And yet, through this last year, what God has been doing is renewing this church community, bringing something together. And I don't know if that would have happened without all of the stuff that happened this year. And yet, now there's this new future, this new hope, this new thing that has been raised up where God has brought us together for something new. New life. Resurrection, life. N.T. Wright says this about resurrection in the church. He says, Easter was when hope in a person surprised the whole world by coming forward from the future into the present. Goes on to say, left to ourselves, we lapse into a kind of collusion with entropy, acquiescing in the general belief that things may be getting worse, but that there's Nothing much more we can do about it. And we are wrong. Our task in the present is to live as resurrection people in between Easter and the final day with our Christian life, corporate and individual, in both worship and mission as a sign of the first and a foretaste of the second. We experience new life as a community today. God has resurrected this community for mission, for worship, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this community. As we started pulling these churches together, we, we had seen God work and do thing after thing. One of the, 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 the amazing things that happened this week is there was a vote last week for this merger to happen, and it was unanimous. It was so great to hear the excitement from both churches as we get to know each other and can I trust you? And you're kind of weird. You sing songs I don't know. And, but this trust that we have together. Another amazing thing that, that happened this week is after the vote last week, there was a, an elderly gentleman who came up to me. Wise, very wise, not, not old, but 
elderly and wise. And he just said to me, I've really been praying about everything that's going on with this merger. And my wife and I have decided that we would like to just pay off the church debt for you. And as we start this new thing together, to be a debt-free church. And this week, the wire, money wire came in for over $400,000, eliminating the debt of this church. Yeah. We see God on the move in this community, doing something brand new. That was an amazing story. Another story Bree told me was that as we are building this children's playground, this offering came in from the children for $38. That was exciting too. Not that the, the gifts of God are always financial, but it's amazing the, the, the things that people are investing in with this new place. To be a part of something that, that feels like it is alive and has been revived and has been resurrected is so exciting. And I'm so excited for the future of what God holds for us. And the invitation today on this Easter Sunday, this life that, that Jesus offers us to live in community, a sacred community of people, this Jesus who has risen from the dead, this Jesus that is resurrecting us individually, this Jesus that has resurrected us as a church community, invites us into this way of life of resurrection. And his promises are true. We've experienced that this year in the midst of one of the hardest years that we can remember. God is raising things up that have been cast down. He's making things new that were old. He's pouring life, and he's inviting us to arise. Maybe today, this Easter, you identify with one of the people in this story. Maybe you were like this woman who is suffering, that there's this social death, you feel hopeless, helpless, hopeless, and you just want to come to Jesus today. Just reach up and, and touch the hem of his garment. Jesus offers healing. Maybe like Jairus, you are desperate on behalf of someone that you know that, that, that is in a moment of despair. Their life seems helpless. And on behalf of that person, you're just crying out to Jesus for help. And maybe you're like this daughter that's 12 years old, and you just know you're in despair. The message of resurrection is that Jesus pours new life into us. We see glimpses of it now, a sign of Easter, a foretaste of our future. And we're invited to that as well. We're going to end today with some prayer. And the band's going to come back up. I don't know what you've brought into this room from this last year. Maybe you feel like you're just spiritually dead. Maybe you're suffering physically. Maybe you have some relationships that have just died. And maybe today you just need to hear these words from Jesus that says, Arise. I'd like to offer a time of prayer for you. That in this room, as we are gathered and spread out, that we would just close our eyes and bow our heads, sit in the presence of Jesus. And maybe today, you want to experience new life. 
for this woman, she came forward in front of the whole crowd to create courage. I won't make you do that today. (laughs) But maybe you could just acknowledge, Lord, I want to experience new life today. As we bow to pray, maybe just raise your hand real quickly. Whatever it is that you, maybe you find yourself like Jairus, maybe you find yourself like this woman. We'll just let Jesus pour his life into you. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for these glimpses of heaven that we see with your life here on earth. That you offer us new life as your people. We see how you take care of your church. We experience your goodness in so many different ways. Life is hard. Today, Lord, we ask that you would pour life into us. If you'd like to just lift your hand right now, we'll pray a blessing. this woman who came forward, Lord, desperate. We see how desperation so often precedes grace. A prelude to grace, Lord, that your grace would pour out today on your people. That resurrection life would fill this place. Lord, we ask your blessing on those that that have these heavy burdens and needs, things that feel like death, things that are grieving and mourning. Lord, we're thankful for the cross. We're thankful for resurrection and the life that you give. May your blessings be on your people today.